Hi, Ray. How's it going? Hi, very good. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, doing this today. I think this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to uh, this question and answer session. What we've done, I, I had some help from my wife, and we compiled a list of questions um, from the basically a Northern California birth community and uh, listeners of the podcast. And just in general, we, we've, we've kind of gathered an assortment of questions. They might be all over the place. Um, but I've tried to compile them in a way that kind of makes sense. Um, but before we get into the, the questions and, and hear your thoughts, um, could you go into your background a little bit, especially as it pertains to uh, women's issues, pregnancy, and human development in general? Um, in 1968, after uh, studying uh, many other things for uh, about uh, well, 12 years after get, getting out of college, uh, I uh, went to uh, graduate school at the University of Oregon, uh, specializing in reproductive physiology. I did my dissertation in 1972 on uh, oxidative uh, changes in the uterus with with aging, and uh, that had been one of my uh, lifelong interest was the physiology of aging, uh, and it, it seemed uh, especially relevant uh, to the, the process of reproduction because I had seen uh, publications in, in the uh, 40s and 50s uh, in which they saw that uh, when you uh, make a graph uh, of the baby's uh, birth weight and head circumference, but both of these increase uh, with each subsequent pregnancy, so that the older the mother is, the bigger her baby's brain is. Uh, that that uh, held true up until about the age of 38. And uh, at, at that time, uh, women were having uh, many more babies each, and so it tended to be uh, the third or fourth or fifth baby by the time uh, she reached her late 30s. And at that point, the, 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 instead of increasing uh, the, the last uh, birth before uh, she became infertile, uh, the last uh, baby uh, tended to be lighter with a smaller head. But the, the general drift of both aging and a parity was for the birth weight and brain weight to increase steadily. And that was sort of in the background. I had started out intending to study brain physiology in graduate school, but I found that that subject was completely dogmatic. Uh, where the reproductive physiology uh, actually uh, tolerated uh, a scientific approach. Oh, that's great. Um, so one of the questions, actually, this leads right into one of our first questions. I, lo I love that summary of your background as it relates to uh, pregnancy and, and, and uh, child development issues. One of the questions from a woman was, uh, directly related to kind of what you spoke to and it's maintaining fertility as, as a woman ages. So 
Um, and this is kind of a general question, but what, what could a woman do to maintain fertility as, as she does get older? Um, the failure of progesterone around it starts statistically happening in the mid-30s. Estrogen production and concentration in the body tends to increase steadily from the 20s, about the age of 20, up until the late 30s. And that's about the time when aging and stress symptoms start becoming noticeable. Sometimes a woman is gaining excess weight around that age. And any kind of nutritional or environmental problem limits the ability to produce progesterone. And as the ratio estrogen continually increasing and progesterone reaching a limit determined by stress and nutrition, at that point you start getting the signs of menopause and infertility. And so there are two processes that tend to extend fertility as well as lifespan in general. And one is that the liver metabolically, when it's healthy, excretes 100% of the estrogen arriving in the circulation to be made soluble for excretion in the urine or put into the bile for excretion. The estrogen that goes into the bile tends to be reabsorbed if there's not enough fiber in the diet. So keeping a steady increase, a steady supply of fiber running through the intestine allows the liver to get rid of the bile excreted estrogen. And the other, it's a sulfated or glucuronidated water-soluble form of estrogen that goes out in the urine. To make that, the B vitamins and protein are the most essential nutrients. So keeping up the B vitamins and, in general, good nutrition, adequate protein and calcium, keep the liver able to minimize estrogen. As it reaches the liver, it should be 100% excreted so it doesn't build up steadily with aging. And that in itself makes the problem of producing adequate progesterone manageable because it isn't against this rising tide of estrogen with aging. Vitamin A, protein, adequate minerals, a balance of calcium and phosphate, and vitamin D are the main limiting factors for making progesterone. Vitamin A is used almost a one-to-one -one relationship with the 
uh, amount of progesterone you produce. Uh, thyroid hormone uh, travels on the same protein in the blood as vitamin A, and these that protein with the vitamin A and thyroid are taken up uh, by cells along with cholesterol uh, and are used in the conversion of cholesterol uh, to progesterone. Uh, so it's essential to maintain a, a good level of, of cholesterol in your blood to be able to keep producing adequate progesterone. Awesome. It, so, Ray, when you talk about vitamin A and vitamin and the B vitamins, um, would it be preferable to get these from food sources rather than, than supplemental sources? Um, I, yeah, the um, supplements always contain manufacturing contaminants and breakdown products. Uh, vitamin A, for example, is, is extremely oxidizable, and uh, many people uh, get serious uh, side effects when they take uh, vitamin supplements that they don't get at all when they eat foods that are very rich in those. Uh, so eggs, um, milk and cheese, and liver, for example, are very safe uh, sources of vitamin A, uh, to some extent vitamin D, but uh, uh, if you don't get sunlight, then you, you will need a supplement of vitamin D. Okay, great. That's that's great. Now, for progesterone, if, if a woman is uh, obviously supporting an environment where natural progesterone continues to be adequate or, or optimal, that's great. But as a woman ages and progesterone levels decrease, is it is it um, does it make sense for a woman to supplement progesterone uh, more with as as she ages? Um, uh, yeah, in the 1950s, Katharina Dalton in England, uh, at that time, uh, the main progesterone product on the market was injectable in oil solution. Uh, she was treating women with premenstrual syndrome uh, with uh, uh, th these mon monthly or, or twice monthly injections of progesterone and found that the women who suffered from uh, PMS uh, tended to have uh, their pre previous babies before they had come in to have their PMS treated, uh, their previous babies were, uh, had a very high uh, likelihood of being premature, underweight, and mentally not up to par. Mm -hmm. And she found that uh, the patients that she had treated adequately for PMS were having healthier pregnancies. Uh, and uh, if they continued having a PMS symptom in the pregnancy, uh, she would continue treating their, their uh, PMS symptoms. And uh, many of these women had previously had monthly bleeding episodes, right, uh, up into the fifth or sixth month of, of pregnancy, and then they would uh, deliver prematurely. Uh, and she found that uh, by preventing the symptoms uh, of uh, depression, anxiety, headaches and so on, <clears throat> that she prevented the monthly bleeding episodes, 
and the babies were carried to full term. And after doing that for uh, about 15 or 20 years, uh, someone mentioned to her that her patients' babies were remarkably intelligent. She said that isn't very likely because uh, uh, the the women who uh, deliver prematurely uh, are are known to have uh, babies with an average IQ of about 95. Uh, She did a study and found that her babies were averaging about uh, 130 IQ. So the the younger siblings were all uh, many IQ points better, just uh, the difference uh, was simply uh, the mother was a little older and was getting progesterone support. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, Ray, there was a poll uh, going around I I saw recently where there were women um, wrote in and answered the question, uh, is progesterone supplementation being effective? And, and a lot of the women said, yes, extremely effective. They noticed positive um, uh, effects from the progesterone. And then some women said they weren't seeing um, positive effects. Can there be a reason that some women would, would see positive effects from supplemental progesterone and then other women maybe would not? Some women have a much higher need, and many of the products simply aren't able to deliver enough progesterone to be effective. In, I think it was 1951, there was a study of using the commercial progesterone that was available at that time for treating uterine cancer. The treatment it turned out the doctors examining the changes saw just remarkable improvements in the uterine cancer, but they were giving what they considered to be a maximum dose, many, many injections of I think it was a couple hundred milligrams per injection. They would give several of those per day. But they never mentioned that the patient was being anesthetized or they didn't even mention a sedative effect. But it's now recognized that when you get the amount of progesterone that the placenta produces in the latter half of pregnancy, those amounts of progesterone are strongly affecting the nervous system, preventing childbirth pain, for example, with an actual anesthetic effect, and having a sedative effect, improving the quality of sleep. So. What they were demonstrating in that 1951 study was that even injecting hundreds of milligrams of progesterone, it wasn't being available to the bloodstream. It was dissolved in oil and it was simply staying in the muscle or fat tissue where they injected it. And when you take it orally in a powdered form, uh, the um, uh, particulate 
uh, even micronized progesterone, uh, as it touches the lining of the intestine, uh, it's um, a small amount of it is um, passed into the cell structure, and in that form, in the intestine, and the uh, uh, as it uh, moves from the intestine to the liver, in that form, both the intestine and the liver uh, have the enzymes to solubilize it the way the liver handles uh, estrogen. Uh, and so uh, any of the powdered uh, estrogen prep or progesterone preparations that touch the intestine tend to go uh, into the soluble form uh, and leave the body quickly. And uh, if it gets into the circulation as a sulfated progesterone, uh, that will have its own sedative effects, but uh, definitely doesn't uh, follow the metabolic pathway that uh, uh, natural progesterone produced uh, by the ovaries or in the brain would have. Uh, and the closest you can get to a natural supplement uh, of progesterone is when it's dissolved in oil and taken orally, uh, that the, the, the digestive system uh, has has the ability to uh, break it up into uh, micron-sized particles uh, for absorption uh, directly through the uh, intestine into the lymphatic system, where those particles uh, are uh, trans transmitted. Uh, directly to the bloodstream, so it circles, uh, circulates as uh, fat dissolved particles uh, through the general circulation, bypassing the liver repeatedly, because uh, red blood cells and these uh, chylomicron particles uh, are not uh, recognized as something for excretion. They pass through the liver uh, over and over. And, and can be absorbed uh, by by the uterus, brain, uh, all of the tissues. Wow, that's great. So, so would you say uh, if you are taking a progesterone that, that gets into that metabolic pathway, for example, like dissolved in vitamin E, uh, and and it, and it is, and you aren't noticing effects, would a good gauge be to just be for try taking more? Then, uh, yeah. Uh, um, a fourth of a teaspoon of the solution containing 100 milligrams will, for a man, that amount will likely bring on sleep very quickly. For a woman, it will have a definite relaxing sedative effect. And a dose of that sort during pregnancy, the tendency of any given dose of progesterone that is sensed to be adequate, the ovary uh, when you're not pregnant or the placenta when you are pregnant will be stimulated uh, so that there's a positive feedback between a given dose and the ability of the ovary or the placenta to maintain and increase its production of progesterone. 
so it can have a catalytic effect. Uh, there were studies in which uh, women who were giving signs that they were about to miscarry at maybe the third or fourth month of pregnancy uh, were given an injection of progesterone. And uh, I think it was two-thirds of the group went uh, from the third month uh, when they got that injection all the way to a full term. Uh, uh, One-third of, of the uh, group uh, needed another infection around month six, uh, and they then carried it to full term. Uh, so there's a, a positive feedback catalytic effect that uh, w one good strong dose will often uh, solve the deficiency problem. Wow, that's great. Uh, one woman, that's, it's kind of related, one woman uh, asked a question about miscarriage. You mentioned miscarriage and thyroid. So thyroid and progesterone are related, I, I imagine. Can you talk about uh, thyroid and miscarriage in the same uh, line? Uh, yeah, er everyone who is hypothyroid uh, becomes uh, uh, subject to an excess of estrogen relative to the uh, other uh, protective hormones, progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA, and to some extent uh, testosterone. Uh, when, when the thyroid is low, uh, the, the tissues accumulate water and uh, shift their metabolism, their energy production uh, towards uh, lactic acid formation rather than carbon dioxide. Uh, the carbon dioxide that should be produced under the influence of thyroid uh, has a relaxing sedative effect uh, on the uterus, uh, tends to deliver more oxygen to the fetus. Uh, when your thyroid is low and you don't produce that carbon dioxide, you make a lot of lactic acid, which has an excitatory effect on the tissues, uh, tending to uh, overactivate contractions in, in the uterus, uh, causing stress to the fetus, and uh, uh, triggers uh, uh, cortisol production, uh, which tends to uh, pr produce delivery. Uh, the, the thyroid uh, acting on the liver is lowering estrogen, which has that the tendency to uh, shift metabolism towards lactic acid. The estrogen itself activates cortisol production and uh, excites uh, contractions in the uterus. Uh, the um, direct effect of, uh, of thyroid and cholesterol on the ovary or the uh, placenta is to increase uh, the conversion of cholesterol to progesterone. Uh, so that in, at every level of metabolism, uh, thyroid is working uh, towards uh, maturing the pregnancy, keeping the uh, delivery of, of sugar for the development of the embryo's brain, uh, keeping the progesterone high and the uterus relaxed. Great.
So then would thyroid sometimes be appropriate as a as another supplement that could be uh, used by pregnant women? Um, even before getting pregnant, uh, there have been many studies showing that uh, thyroid hormone for both men and women is the most important single fertility hormone there is. Uh, I've known dozens, both of men and women, who were unable to get pregnant. Uh, usually the very first month they supplement thyroid, uh, they're pregnant. Uh, some of them after 10 or 15 years of trying, all it took was one month of thyroid. Uh, and uh, so, so it's good to start early. Uh, another study looked at women who had uh, used a supplement of progesterone even for just one month preceding conception, uh, where the normal percentage of uh, birth defects in that study was 4 4%. Uh, uh, those women who had, even for just one month, who had used progesterone before conceiving, there was only 1% uh, incidence of birth defects. Uh, so progesterone has a very powerful stabilizing effect on the chromosomes, uh, and uh, thyroid uh, is uh, working right along with the uh, progesterone, uh, stabilizing uh, the genetic system. Wow, that's great. Ray, you mentioned the lactic acid, or uh, the, the lactic metabolism being maladaptive for a developing um, fetus. Um, it, a, lot of, a lot of people seem to be into like um, intense exercise. Can, can overexertion and, and intense exercise actually be um, not really what we want for a healthy pregnancy? Um, uh, yeah, if you look at just athletes, not, not pregnant athletes, but just men or women either, uh, the, one of the definitions of overtraining is to look at their lungs' ability to diffuse oxygen. And uh, one study found that uh, the athletes who thought they were in great condition but who were overtraining had a, a tremendously deficient ability of their lungs to uh, admit oxygen to the blood. Uh, the, the overtraining gave them a, a chronic oxygen deficit and a lingering uh, lactic acid level in the blood. They found that uh, those athletes who had elevated lactic acid even uh, 12 hours or more after their exercise, uh, those were the ones whose lungs had taken up uh, so much excess water that the diffusion pathway was about twice normal. Um, so that no, no matter how fast they, they breathed, uh, they just couldn't uh, get uh, efficient oxygenation. Uh, the same sort of thing uh, happens under the influence of too much estrogen. Uh, a study in, uh, I think it was mice, uh, gave one infection uh, of estrogen and then monitored the uh, ability of oxygen to move through their lungs, they found that 95% of the, 
of the diffusion capacity was knocked out in an hour following a single overdose of estrogen. Wow. Great. Um, I'm going to go back to a general question here from a, from a woman. Um, she, she asked, what is the most important piece of advice that, that you would give an expecting mother? To eat well. Uh, uh, and that means uh, keeping protein up, uh, having a, a good ratio of calcium uh, to uh, uh, phosphate in the diet, uh, be getting around 100 milligrams of good protein every day uh, and uh, something like a one-to-one -one ratio of calcium to phosphate if possible. Great. That's awesome. Thanks, Ray. Uh, another question here from a woman. Um, what are your thoughts on the common suggestion that a pregnant mother should be consuming high volumes of water? Um, um, Water, water can be very dangerous. Um, your your um, requirement for protein and calcium means that uh, during uh, once pregnancy gets going, uh, two two quarts of milk a day uh, is uh, kind of the minimum, uh, along with maybe a quart of orange juice, and with two or three quarts of those going in as food, you have very little need for, for a, a other liquid. Uh, um, the, um, if you don't balance uh, your water intake, especially with sodium, but also with calcium, magnesium, and potassium, uh, uh, sodium is, is very often uh, the most important mineral lacking in pregnancy, and, and if you uh, add water to your regime uh, without balancing it with, with uh, salting your food to taste, uh, that can have very bad uh, outcome. Uh, in the 1950s, when the drug companies uh, devised new chemical diuretics, uh, they decided pregnant women would be a good market for them. Uh, so they invented the idea that you shouldn't gain so much weight during pregnancy. And almost every doctor in the country fell for the uh, uh, advertising for diuretics and uh, taught women uh, to control their weight gain. And uh, to do that uh, largely uh, with, with the water pills, uh, that had a, a really a disastrous effect on the outcome of millions of pregnancies. Uh, uh, the uh, progesterone uh, is uh, pretty much the basis uh, for the body's ability to regulate water and salt uh, accurately, but you have to take in a, a generous amount uh, for the progesterone to be able to uh, regulate it. Uh, in uh, the two different studies uh, of uh, preeclampsia, uh, in which uh, the women were developing high blood pressure, uh, they, knowing knowing the uh, physiology, uh, when progesterone is, is deficient, uh, you tend to retain water without 
sodium, potassium, calcium, and so on. And, and so they tried giving pretty big supplements uh, of uh, table salt to these women with uh, eclampsia, where the uh, standard medical prescription was to have them avoid salt and take diuretics. Uh, these two studies supplemented several grams per day of table salt and cured the preeclampsia, regulated their blood pressure. Uh, and that, that same principle works anytime your progesterone is deficient relative to estrogen. Uh, you you uh, seem to be retaining water, but it's really that you're losing sodium too fast and balancing your minerals will help you get rid of the water. How that works is that albumin in the blood uh, forms uh, uh, the negative charges on albumin molecules bind the positive charges of sodium. And that combination of electrical charges binds water around that cloud of molecules. And if you don't have enough sodium, the albumin can't retain its water. The albumin uh, tends to fall out of solution going into your tissues or out your kidneys. Uh, the preeclampsia, uh, high blood pressure women, uh, tend to lose a lot of albumin in their urine. And how these uh, researchers uh, cured the preeclampsia with sodium, it was because the uh, sodium allowed the albumin to stay in the bloodstream and to attract water to it, pulling water out of the tissues and keeping it to increase the volume of blood needed to perfuse the placenta and uterus. Uh, so water without sodium, especially with the diuretics that were being sold to American and, and uh, European and Australian women, uh, the, the excess water and diuretic combination and salt restriction is a very deadly mixture. Wow. Ray, Ray, one woman um, who works with uh, families who are becoming pregnant, she's, she's uh, worked with midwives and she's, uh, she's worked with pregnant women directly. She said there uh, definitely seems to be an increase in preeclampsia. So, so what you're saying is it sounds like this, and I'm asking you, I guess, is it, could it be from something as simple as not having enough salt and consuming way too much liquid? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, salt and protein, protein, uh, um, uh, milk especially, because it comes with the calcium. Awesome. Um, you mentioned earlier the B vitamins, vitamin A. Um, are there any prenatal vitamins that are that are on the market that, that could be good, um, a, apart from just getting the vitamins and nutrients we need from food? I don't really know of any. Uh, traditionally, they have emphasized iron uh, and uh, the um, I, the idea that women need more iron than men uh, isn't true because estrogen gives women a powerful 
advantage for efficient absorption of iron uh, from a me meager uh, diet, uh, estrogen makes you uh, uh, attract into the intestine about 10 times as much iron as a man would. Uh, and uh, the, the reason so many women seem deficient in iron isn't uh, that, that they're losing some every month with menstruation. That's true. But the, the, since the average diet uh, contains enough uh, iron, if they're absorbing it efficiently, the real uh, uh, cause for the apparent anemia is low thyroid uh, function. Uh, thyroid uh, is what governs the formation of red blood cells, and as the red blood cells uh, form, uh, if you have enough copper in your diet, that will attach the iron. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I would guess it's more than half of, of the diagnosed iron deficiencies uh, in, in women are really uh, thyroid deficiencies. Uh, the, the temperature of your arms and legs uh, powerfully governs your ability to make red blood cells. And if your thyroid metabolism is low, uh, your arms and legs tend to be cooler than optimal. Uh, and so you slow down your production of, of red blood cells. That's great. Ray, um, one woman, I'm trying to connect some of these questions here. One woman um, had a question about iron, speaking of iron. In her teenage boy, um, she, she, she wanted to know, is there a way for, for um, us to help my teenage boy, my son, lower iron levels, um, even though he's not eligible to donate blood yet? Um, is he having symptoms of iron excess? I don't know anything other than the question I got from this woman. Um, if if a, a person simply uh, goes on a, a milk and cheese heavy diet, uh, and uh, uh, a couple of eggs per day will provide the required amount of iron for a man uh, without an excess. Uh, if you just go without uh, meat, meat or fish, things that are higher in iron, uh, the um, milk and cheese are so low in iron, uh, within a couple of weeks, uh, you will probably have, have a, a normalized your uh, iron stores. Uh, you, you can often go on for many weeks uh, without uh, developing an iron deficiency on a, a milk and cheese-based diet. Uh, but at some point, you'll uh, start craving foods that are, are rich in iron when you actually start needing iron. Awesome. That, that sounds like a good rule, rule of thumb. Uh, now, iron excess is that, and uh, Ray, it's similar to um, like polyunsaturated fat excess, right? Over time, that can be really problematic. Can you talk about that at all? Um, yeah, those, those interacting uh, uh, tend to. to um, start causing problems about the age of 45 or 50 or so. Um, with aging, just eating an average diet, 
because the polyunsaturated fats tend to go into storage while saturated fats are preferentially oxidized. Uh, just an average diet after several decades, your, your tissues become uh, very high in the polyunsaturated fats. And uh, on a, a typical uh, American-European diet, uh, we're all getting more iron than we need, and so the the liver and marrow and so on uh, become overloaded with iron. And a stress that uh, makes us short of oxygen, the same thing that uh, leads to lactic acid production, it's a shift uh, in the reducing direction away from the oxidizing direction that turns uh, iron atoms in the sources of reactive electrons uh, producing uh, uh, hydroxyl ions uh, that uh, uh, cause tissue deterioration. And when the tissues are overloaded with, with phospholipids that have been constructed out of polyunsaturated fats, uh, our very uh, tissue structure starts being attacked by these hydroxyl activated free radicals are producing chain reactions of inflammation, of toxic breakdown products that tend to destroy mitochondria and put the cell over into the glycolyzing lactic acid producing condition. Interesting. So while there are several foods a pregnant woman should definitely be aiming to include in her diet, Polyunsaturated fat is something a pregnant woman should be trying to avoid. Um, uh, yeah, the, the uh, studies in various species, but for, for example, cows uh, that uh, they're easy to study because they're used for meat, and so the, uh, the, the studies uh, there, there are large amounts of tissue to examine. Uh, they find that uh, newborn calves brains and other tissues are, are what we would, uh, dietitians nowadays would uh, say are deficient in the so-called essential fatty acids. Uh, but uh, e eating hay and, and grass and so on, uh, very quickly uh, uh, the tissues start uh, acquiring uh, these polyunsaturated fats. But even though the cow was eating a diet rich in, in the grass uh, PUFA, polyunsaturated fats, uh, the, the newborn calf uh, was completely free of, of these in its brain. And uh, looking at humans, uh, they are now saying that uh, the full-term newborn baby typically is deficient in the essential fatty acids, so they want to... Uh, give them a, a supplement of these uh, to make the tissue start accumulating them faster. But uh, if you look at the brain metabolism of a healthy full-term newborn, uh, their oxygen consumption is very high and their free radical toxic breakdown products in the blood are extremely low. Uh, and in the first couple of years, 
the, the, the brain and other tissues of healthy kids uh, tend to be uh, borderline deficient in the so-called essential fatty acids and their brain metabolism and brain function, ability to learn language quickly, are very high. And as the brain gets more and more saturated over time uh, with the PUFA, uh, the learning ability and the brain metabolism are slowing down. That process in, in an Alzheimer's brain, for example, prematurely aging, the polyunsaturated fats are extremely high and they are bound up with cholesterol so that the available cholesterol is very low, but the potentially reactive toxic fatty acids are very high. Uh, that's a process you want to get to as late as possible. Uh, and uh, so you don't want to supplement a baby with these unstable, highly oxidizable uh, polyunsaturated fats. Um, many of the best hospitals now give premature babies intravenous soybean emulsion because of this ab absurd doctrine of essential fatty acids in the brain. Um, uh, simultaneously, uh, uh, at the University of, of, of California, Riverside, uh, professors found uh, that uh, animals' brains were uh, damaged uh, by a, a single injection of soybean emulsion uh, 40 or 45 years previous to that, uh, someone else uh, demonstrated that injecting this soybean emulsion, uh, intralipid, for example, into a rat's carotid artery, 17% uh, uh, of that injected emulsion stuck in the brain was taken up directly into the brain as soybean oil, uh, causing uh, changes, microscopically visible changes from that one dose of soybean oil. Uh, so uh, almost all the doctors in the country are going to be pushing pregnant women and their newborn babies to uh, either, either eat fish oil or, or supplement uh, with various kinds of polyunsaturated fats. It's uh, uh, basically an advertising uh, campaign for industry that is uh, counterfactual. Seems just fraudulent. Yeah. Um, so, so clearly, uh, to avoid maternal stress, one one way to do that is to, is to limit polyunsaturated fat as much as possible. Yeah. What What are some non dietary ways a woman can reduce uh, stress during a pregnancy? Oh, um, doing interesting things. Uh, uh, just avoiding uh, uh, things that are fatiguing, uh, resting uh, as much as feels right. Uh, activity that, that feels good is fine, but uh, when, whenever uh, it seems desirable to rest, uh, that's very important to do. Uh, 
50 years ago, it was recognized that uh, bed rest sometimes uh, was all, all that was needed to have a, a healthier delivery. But uh, recently I heard uh, doctors saying that uh, there have been no uh, controlled double-blind studies uh, showing that bed rest uh, was helpful uh, for preventing miscarriage, so they didn't advocate it. Wow. Ray, this, th thank you for that. This is this, this is just so great. Uh, one woman uh, asks, can you talk a bit about cholestasis and why that might occur during pregnancy? Uh, about what was the word? Uh, cholestasis. Uh, say it again. Cholestasis? Am I saying that oh, right? Oh, 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 of, of the biome. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, um, high estrogen is known to be the villain. Uh, just um, keeping your, your thyroid up, I, I think, is the essential thing. Uh, thyroid and progesterone uh, are, are the, the treatment as well as the prevention. Awesome. Okay, thanks. And uh, another woman wrote, the occurrence of cesarean births uh, uh, statistically uh, have tripled, uh, have more than tripled in the past 30 years, from about 6% of all births to now around 31% as far as statistics go. Um, that Wow, that's crazy. Um, how might this impact the generation being born by cesarean is the first question from this woman. And the second question is, what effect might this have on future generations? I, I think the the main statistical thing is that it's being done for the convenience of doctors and hospitals. Uh, they don't like to sit around waiting for the woman to be ready to give birth. And uh, I, I think it often results, uh, they, they have a, a mechanical calendar model of, of when uh, the delivery should happen. And for example, if a woman is just slightly hypothyroid or just has a, a less than optimal uh, ratio of progesterone to estrogen, uh, they can uh, mature the brain uh, properly if they just stay pregnant for another month or so. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with uh, prolongation of pregnancy if, if the woman is still healthy and eating well. Uh, getting enough sugar uh, and, and other nutrients delivered to the, the baby. Uh, just by uh, uh, an arbitrary uh, definition of, of when the pregnancy uh, uh, should terminate, uh, the hospitals uh, are creating a, a lot of underweight babies. Uh, and if the baby is underweight, its brain is underdeveloped. And in those the last three months of pregnancy, uh, there's a, a tremendous, uh, at, at month six, uh, there, uh, I think it's uh, uh, about twice as many brain precursor cells as will be there at full term. So during that last uh, month, uh, if, if you slow down the uh, death of these brain precursor cells, you're going to massively increase the number of functional mature brain cells when the baby is born. Uh, and and the, the process of brain growth uh, 
is fastest in the last month, and if that's allowed to continue, the future of the baby is going to be healthier in every way. The brain is in control of the circulatory system, the immune system, metabolism, and so on. So it isn't just that the baby will get in the Harvard, it's that it will have good immunity, circulation, general vitality if the brain is allowed to mature. That was great. Wow, you really you really covered a lot in that one. I appreciate that's amazing. Um, and I, yeah, it's just so sad that the, the doctors are on schedule and that that's determining. It seems like um, when they want women to give birth rather than just the natural course. Uh, yeah, many, many things are tending in the same direction. For example, uh, multiple uh, vaccinations. Uh, I think uh, uh, various. Uh, environmental uh, pollutions, but uh, one of those is uh, multiple vaccinations uh, and other uh, over-medicalization. Uh, the uh, history of birth weight and brain weight have been pretty steadily increasing for a 100 years or so. In the 1980s, in uh, three countries, uh, Japan, uh, Germany and the United States, brains stopped growing. In Germany, the body kept growing, getting bigger, bigger, heavier babies, but without a bigger brain in proportion. In uh, Japan and the U.S., uh, there has been actually a, a, a downward trend in head circumference at birth. Oh, wow. Ray, Ray, you mentioned uh, autism uh, and vaccination. I mean, sorry, you mentioned vaccination. Your recent, um, one of your recent newsletters, which I thought was so great, and people can subscribe to that by um, writing to you at Ray Pete Newsletters uh, uh, at gmail.com. Is that right? Right. Um, it, it was just, it was great. Can you can you briefly talk about maybe um, several women actually asked about the autism? Connection with with vaccinations and, and autism in general. Why why is autism increasing? Um, could you speak to that at all? Uh, yeah, there have been several studies showing that uh, a woman's estrogen uh, balance during pregnancy uh, strongly corresponds to the risk of autism. Uh, estrogen creates inflammation and, and lactic acid excess. Uh, inflammation in, uh, uh, during gestation in animal experiments uh, uh, creates uh, behavior that resembles autism. Um, the, the various things that uh, contribute to inflammation during pregnancy uh, include the uh, aluminum adjuvants in vaccinations, uh, not only the intentional aluminum adjuvant, but a lot of the junk. Uh, for example, if, if they grow the vaccine in a culture, uh, the, the vaccines are known to contain 
uh, contaminants from the culture medium, uh, milk protein, egg protein, uh, 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 various uh, things, known, uh, synthetic chemicals known to be used in some of the uh, culture media for producing vaccines. Uh, all of this junk is there producing inflammation. The purpose of the uh, adjuvant is deliberately to produce an inflammatory state to activate the immune system to produce the antibodies. But an inflammatory state in every study that has investigated it in humans and animals both, inflammation during pregnancy damages the nervous system of the fetus, uh, the whole, the whole uh, outcome uh, of the, the organism's health is deteriorated by inflammatory conditions during pregnancy. Wow. Ray, uh, this, this question actually is, I think, related. Um, someone said we seem, and, and, and you talked about any kind of stress, any kind of inflammation in pregnancy, which comes from stress, it can be detrimental. And someone said, um, we seem to be so caught up recently with this idea of hormesis in our society, like that if you do something that's going to that's stressful, that we, we're going to have like positive adaptation from it. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's another advertising ploy. Uh, the radiation industry uh, w was a leader in developing the whole idea of hormesis. Uh, if uh, if if it's uh, something that uh, we produce in uh, making atomic bombs or, or in uh, doing our uh, CAT scans and so on. Uh, or, or uh, radium uh, uh, technologies and so on. It, it goes way back to the uh, uh, trying to explain away uh, why uh, some certain uh, commercially valuable amount of poisoning uh, isn't something that you can sue the industry for because it's really good for you. In the 1950s, the Atomic Energy Commission uh, was getting data that they were uh, exploding bombs in Nevada. They were uh, causing cancer in people in, in Utah and all, all of the downwind states, but uh, especially in, in the nearest uh, towns in Utah. And to explain away the uh, radioactive elements they were seeing in babies' teeth, and the increasing uh, mortality in uh, uh, small children uh, with leukemia and bone cancer. Uh, to explain that away, they invented the idea of hormesis, that these small doses are actually good for you. Incredible. Uh, Ray, what? They, they, they called uh, their big project, uh, 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 one, one of their projects, they called uh, Project Sunshine, uh, that was the one uh, looking at strontium-90 in, in babies. Oh, my gosh. Sounded nice to call it Project Sunshine. Unbelievable. Wow. Ray, um, one woman asked in, in relation to the autism, um, 
subject. Uh, she said, if, if my if kids already have autism or or, or they are on the spectrum, in, in quote, um, how what, what's a good way to go about this, or are there any things we can do to mitigate some of the kind of the the effects of of uh, autism? Yeah, everything that's good for the brain of the developing baby is probably still good at any age for helping the cells to mature and function. Uh, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, all of these are, are at any stage of life, they're essential brain hormones. Uh, and there are uh, some drugs that have been developed uh, in relation to blood pressure and heart disease uh, that probably are uh, working on part of the inflammatory system. Uh, uh, for example, uh, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin-converting uh, enzyme inhibitors, and re angiotensin receptor blockers, and, and calcium blockers. Uh, all of these stabilize the living state of the cell. Uh, uh, the way they're explained isn't necessarily uh, very illuminating, but what they're doing is, is uh, protecting cells uh, against uh, things like high estrogen, high lactic acid, uh, deficient sugar, and deficient carbon dioxide, and so on. Oh, good to know. Awesome. Now, uh, so, Ray, this, this question is still related to pregnancy. Um, during pregnancy, what would be the best course of action, this woman asked, for someone who experiences frequent migraines? Um, my own migraines were one of the things that got me interested in, in studying brain physiology. And uh, when I was about 10 years old, I noticed that girls were much more likely than boys to have migraines. And that got me interested in the physiology of estrogen. And uh, the, the um, two, two uh, techniques that I came across, uh, someone in the 1960s told me that eating a carrot every day uh, often prevented headaches. I, I tried it and it worked. And uh, the, the method, uh, someone uh, studying fertility uh, had uh, one group of women who had uh, frequent infections, and so they gave them a, a series of antibiotic treatments, and they found that their cyclic monthly migraines had disappeared when they were taking the antibiotic. And uh, it turns out that a carrot a day or, or an antibiotic has the same effect uh, the antibiotic is uh, suppressing the inflammatory uh, bacteria in the intestine. Uh, the carrot is, to some extent, suppressing them and carrying them out of the body. Uh, the, uh, following up on the antibiotic effect, they saw that the women taking the antibiotic had lower estrogen, lower cortisol, and higher progesterone. Wow. Uh, same thing, uh, we, we uh, tested a few women uh, 
without and with the daily carrot, same thing happened there. Estrogen and cortisol went down when they ate a daily carrot. And then supplementing thyroid, I found that I wasn't so bound to my carrot addiction. The thyroid itself helps to lower estrogen and cortisol and keep your progesterone, DHEA, and pregnenolone up. And once when I, for example, in San Francisco, I was taking my thyroid supplement and not realizing that fluoridated water knocks out T3, destroys T3 totally. And I became suddenly very hypothyroid and developed a migraine. And I happened to have the progesterone and vitamin E. I took about 100 milligrams on my tongue. And within seconds, the visual flashing effects started right at the center of my visual field, quieted down. And this area of visual quiet spread quickly during about 30 or 40 seconds, covered my whole visual field. And a sense of well-being kept flowing. And after about a minute, all of the sickness and headache had disappeared, and I got sleepy. I experienced that effect twice, exactly the same effect of about 150 milligrams of progesterone, quieting the visual effect within seconds and totally knocking out the headache in about two minutes. Wow, that's amazing. Ray, Ray, with the carrot and the uh, anti antibiotic, uh, is is like twice a week activated charcoal? Would that be a, kind of a similar um, deal? I was, the animal studies uh, suggest, yeah, that it's doing much of the same. It has an antibiotic effect. Uh, the, the pores in, in the charcoal uh, act as catalysts uh, and uh, break down endotoxin. Uh, so it's a uh, working chemically as well as uh, as an antibiotic. Great. Awesome. This woman, Ray, asks about uh, PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. She says, how can I begin to correct it? Uh, having a, a vitamin D blood test uh, probably is helpful. Uh, uh, vitamin D is one of the things uh, widely recognized as helping it. Uh, and uh, the animal experiments in which they uh, would remove the thyroid gland and then give a gonadotropin uh, to, to increase the estrogen production, uh, that combination uh, boosting uh, the ovaries while cutting out the thyroid uh, will reliably uh, produce uh, polycystic ovaries in animals. Uh, and so uh, that implies that you would want to start with normalizing the thyroid uh, and then check on the balance of estrogen to progesterone, probably needing a supplement of progesterone uh, to, to balance the 
overactive adrenals. Uh, when, when something like a hypothyroidism limits the ability of the ovary to make progesterone, the adrenals become hyperactive in response to the estrogen excitatory action. And the adrenals aren't as good at making progesterone, so they make lots of testosterone, which has the same anti-excitatory protective effect. But that becomes a vicious circle, and you can break it with thyroid, progesterone, and vitamin D. Oh, great. Ray, this woman asked about labs too, or you said some, you said about the labs, getting, getting a lab um, done during uh, pregnancy. One woman asked, what are the most helpful labs? Are there any other, uh, labs, um, that would help during pregnancy to best understand current health status? Uh, uh, yeah, making sure that your thyroid is good. Uh, temperature and pulse are very important. Waking, uh, temperature and pulse rate and, uh, middle of the day. Uh, another measurement, uh, and uh, any blood tests uh, that would uh, uh, validate a good thyroid function. But the, uh, the ratio of progesterone to estrogen is very important. Uh, some fertility uh, clinics uh, found that women whose progesterone was not 50 times or more higher than the estrogen uh, were the ones ones who didn't get pregnant. So if, if they had 50 to 100 times as much progesterone as estrogen, uh, they were the ones that would get pregnant. And then their ratio would tend to uh, stay very, very good, heavily towards uh, progesterone. And uh, that's something that should be tested about at least twice during a, a pregnancy to make sure that uh, the estrogen isn't creeping up. In animal studies, if you make a graph of estrogen and progesterone, all of the animals studied, there is a constant increase, just a straight line of both progesterone and estrogen, but with the progesterone being many times higher uh, until the day of delivery. Uh, uh, the, the, the recognition uh, in the medical world uh, that most pregnancies are defective, uh, uh, turns up as advice uh, that your uh, progesterone should level off after month six, but all of the animal studies say that the, the best pregnancies uh, uh, turn out uh, when the progesterone has con continued to rise steadily right up to the last days of pregnancy. Wow, that's great. The, the same woman, Ray, asked, uh, uh, is metabolism linked to the length of gestation? Uh, uh, yeah, um, a, a good high thyroid metabolism, uh, keeping your blood sugar uh, steady, uh, letting you keep the progesterone increasing, uh, not letting the estrogen get out of proportion. Uh, since estrogen uh, dominance triggers cortisol production, Cortisol triggers uh, uh, premature delivery, so you want to keep your, your sugar intake high enough that your cortisol doesn't uh, tend to, to rise, uh, uh, term terminating the pregnancy.
Okay, great. And, and is that because in general sugar sugar can help? Um, uh, yeah, the sugar is, is the primary limiting uh, factor for brain growth. Awesome. Uh, in uh, uh, chickens, for example, have very small brains. Uh, the egg holds only a certain amount of, of glucose, uh, and uh, uh, some of the protein can break down to make glucose, but uh, an egg is a, a closed world, uh, and the, the brain is known to stop developing when the glucose present in the egg is used up. But experimenters made a hole in the egg, and then at the day that uh, they knew that the uh, uh, glucose was being uh, reaching zero, they injected either glucose or, or uh, amino acids that could be turned into glucose. And they found that the chicken's brain kept developing for the rest of its uh, gestational period, producing chickens with bigger brains than it ever uh, happened naturally. Uh, so the, uh, the uh, amount of uh, brain development uh, in the case of a, a chicken isn't developmental, it, it's environmental, that the egg just didn't hold enough glucose to finish making a, a smart chicken. Uh, and uh, if, you, if your uh, glucose is limited after the six months of, of pregnancy, the, the, the brain stops developing. In the 50s, uh, experiments were done on uh, dogs and other animals and they found that if they gave a little bit of insulin, lowering the mother's blood sugar, the cell division in the fetus's brain came to a stop. Wow. If they added estrogen, same thing happened. Blood sugar dipped, the brain stopped growing. No, on that note, Ray, can you, could, would you say anything to a, a woman who has been tested as a pre uh, uh, gestationally diabetic. Oh, uh, that was uh, 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 first. There was the, the, the real diabetes, uh, which was uh, defined as high blood sugar and excess urination, uh, leading to wasting away. Uh, the body tissues were being turned into sugar, so it was a wasting disease. Uh, so the uh, developed a market for insulin, and uh, they they found that they could uh, create a, a new type 2 diabetes and have a new market for selling insulin and then uh, other drugs uh, to lower the blood sugar. Uh, that market was saturated, type 1 and 2 diabetes. They came up with gestational diabetes, but the old obstetricians, several of them have told me that they observed that women, diabetic women, so-called, who had high blood sugar during pregnancy, often <clears throat> had babies with very large heads. I happened to talk to one of those women. Her doctor had sent her to me for a weight loss diet, and 
Uh, her blood sugar was only 130 or so, but the doctor told her uh, she needed to stop gaining weight and uh, not, not uh, have another uh, baby uh, like the previous one. And I said, what's that baby like? And she, she said, he's two years old, wears an adult hat, and reads adult literature. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't think the invention of gestational diabetes was was very constructive. Great, uh, Ray. This this question comes from a woman. She, she's asking about extended breastfeeding, and she says she's she's asking uh, if for those who are extending extending breastfeeding beyond two years or more. What, would there be any additional um, considerations as far as diet and supplementation? Uh, yeah, drinking lots of milk. Uh, okay. uh, 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 some some women whose uh, milk seems to be limited, uh, just drinking, uh, adding a, a quart of orange juice to their diet, uh, getting getting their sugar and potassium up, uh, is sometimes uh, overcoming uh, uh, limited ability to lactate, but uh, uh, if you're doing it uh, chronically for, for more than a year, you, you need to make sure you're, you're getting lots of uh, calcium and protein yourself. Awesome. Same woman asks, um, does the continued production of high levels of prolactin uh, involved in breastfeeding um, necessary to, uh, to, to lactate, does that have a negative impact on the breastfeeder's health? If you keep your thyroid function up, uh, you won't experience uh, bad effects from that prolonged. Uh, uh, the prolactin does uh, uh, guide uh, metabolism towards producing milk, and thyroid uh, is the other. It keeps your ability up to produce the sugar. If you're getting lots of protein uh, and carbohydrate and minerals in your diet, the thyroid uh, supports the lactation, and it keeps uh, your pituitary from overproducing uh, a stress-induced uh, prolactin. Uh, so it would be good to have uh, uh, both the thyroid uh, and the prolactin uh, test uh, maybe a, a year in the lactation. Okay, great. That's awesome. Uh, this woman, Ray, asked um, about childhood allergies. Actually, there were several women who wrote in about childhood allergies, specifically eczema, and they're asking um, what, what might this be caused by and, and how can we mitigate or, or, or uh, you know, help that. Some studies found that the women who were urged to uh, supplement with uh, things like fatty fish, high intake of omega minus three fats, uh, those were the women who had uh, the most allergic children. Uh, so it's uh, uh, prenatal inflammation again. Uh, the, uh, uh, th those fats are, aren't really very compatible with, with pregnancy, and, and so uh, they, they create a tendency to uh, suppress the thyroid and, and maintain inflammation. Uh, and uh, uh, if a kid is, is having allergies, you should check uh, especially their vitamin D and thyroid level. Uh, sometimes uh, supplementing those uh, will uh, make a th an allergy disappear. 
Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Uh, a few more here. Um, these questions, I think, are, are great, and they're obviously directly related to some uh, some concerns and some some thoughts and and just things that these women think I think are important, which is great. Um, this, this woman asked about reversing autoimmunity in the toddler. Oh, oh um, progesterone has the, the most immediate effects against some things like uh, rheumatoid arthritis uh, uh, and uh, estrogen for a long time has been known as the main villain. Uh, women have at least five times the incidence of all kinds of autoimmune uh, diseases as men uh, and so it's been known uh, for several decades that, that estrogen uh, creates these uh, way back in the 50s uh, uh, women uh, who were getting uh, the early estrogen treatments were coming down with horrible rheumatoid arthritis and other uh, autoimmune conditions uh, but the estrogen industry has uh, diverted attention from that uh, just by stopping uh, taking supplements uh, I saw one woman in a week go from uh, totally uh, incapacitated by rheumatoid arthritis to having no symptoms uh, just by stopping her medical estrogen supplement. Another woman with uh, scleroderma uh, was getting hardening of the backs of her hands and her face uh, just by stopping uh, the estrogen. Uh, that cleared up. Uh, Adding progesterone uh, has the same effect as withdrawing from uh, estrogen. Uh, uh, norm normalizing thyroid function and um, maintaining uh, a good level of progesterone and, and vitamin D. Uh, uh, so far, I haven't seen it, it fail uh, to, to stop the so-called autoimmune symptoms. Uh, dry eyes is another one. Uh, sometimes thyroid load does it, uh, but uh, all, all of the, uh, the natural stabilizing uh, factors, vitamin D, calcium, uh, adequate protein, uh, uh, as well as the thyroid and progesterone. That's great. Uh, Ray, this, this woman asked, what, what is actually considered early puberty in children? And another woman asked um, about preteen hormones and um, should I honor craving that my child might have um, for sugar, uh, for example, or should I let them eat as much sugar as they want? Um, so it's kind of separate, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's important uh, not to uh, keep sugar in your, your mouth steadily uh, so satisfy the the appetite, but then uh, rinse the mouth to, to reduce cavities. Uh, uh, what was the first question? Yeah, sorry about that. I kind of asked two questions at once. So um, the first question was, what what is actually considered early puberty in children? Um, it, it's just a statistical thing. And I looked at the uh, uh, average age of puberty in girls in areas 
that were uh, coconut-based uh, economies, uh, and uh, their average age was 18. Uh, and uh, ah. in animal experiments, uh, polyunsaturated fats acting like estrogen, increasing estrogen production and activity, uh, you can bring on puberty earlier with uh, excess PUFA in the diet. So I, my interpretation was that the, the coconuts in their diet uh, were uh, protecting uh, against uh, the estrogenic effects of polyunsaturated fats and uh, the tendency uh, in the last several decades has been for puberty to come earlier and earlier so that even eight years old isn't considered uh, extreme anymore. Uh, it, it had been that uh, nine years old uh, about 40 years ago was uh, uh, no notable as early, early puberty, but uh, it's eight years uh, I think now is in the same position that nine-year-old puberty was 40 years ago. Yeah, wow, that just seems awfully early, uh, for sure. Um, and so back to the sugar question, because I, I kind of put those together, and, and you mentioned something about keeping sugar in the mouth too long. Does that just mean like maybe rinsing after you've consumed sugar? Being, being a good, uh, effective measure? Yeah. And rinsing with water and salt or, or what? I don't know, just plain water. Okay. Great. Uh, Ray, uh, there's two more questions here. One, one woman asked, actually three more questions. Uh, this is so great, by the way. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, this woman asked about endometriosis, how that develops, um, and, and why the tissue can become displaced in various spots in the body? Um, the, the estrogen effect is to uh, activate cell division, uh, and uh, it, uh, at, at an extreme, uh, it increases the motility of the cells and, and the looseness. Uh, progesterone should come in quickly and uh, change the development of the tissue into glandular tissue. Uh, and uh, uh, if I, I think the basic problem is low thyroid function uh, when your uh, estrogen isn't eliminated quickly and progesterone isn't produced abundantly and quickly, uh, then the uh, endometrial cells keep getting the stimulus uh, and Besides uh, growing excessively, uh, uh, they they lose lose their tissue integrity when there isn't enough uh, progesterone. It's the same effect in a cancer cell. Uh, a cancer uh, under the influence of estrogen becomes more likely to metastasize, uh, and progesterone uh, makes it tend to stay put. Uh, all of the women that I've known uh, who had very serious endometriosis uh, cured it immediately when they corrected their hypothyroidism. Uh, just, just an immediate turning off uh, of all of the symptoms. Awesome. That's great, Ray. 
All right, I saved, I saved these last two questions because I thought they were um, kind of more general uh, parenting kind of kind of topic. And, and um, so the first was uh, from someone who said, what do you think is the ideal um, learning environment for a young human together with a young family? Um, together with schools that, um, Together with it. So a, a young child and the family, um, what, what, what's the appropriate or what's the optimal learning environment? Also, um, schools, et cetera, is the question. I, I, I think the optimal thing is to have uh, an interesting environment and that includes uh, having uh, adults talking about interesting things, uh, con constantly being engaged in in doing something that's interesting, uh, which could be uh, uh, wor working, uh, uh, any activity that is meaningful to the adult is going to be a learning experience. Uh, for the kids and uh, ex experiencing adults being interested in life, I think is the most important thing for kids to see that uh, that the world is intrinsically interesting and uh, uh, a matter for exploration, uh, not not for indoctrination. That's awesome. Ray, that's that's so great. Uh, I, the last question was kind of is I guess kind of related because it was it was what, does Ray have any kind of parting message um, for, for, from this for parents? Like, and I and I think you you might have kind of talked about that, but the question was, would you have any kind of overriding message that you would give to parents of of um, our next generations of people? Um, to be to, to be watchful uh, for uh, imposed uh, doctrines and ideologies and, and procedures, uh, uh, being being critical uh, of uh, medical uh, doctrines is is just a starting point. Uh, the, the world, uh, the, the culture, has has some very dangerous. Uh, things that it wants to impose, and you have to be uh, watchful uh, for the, for the multiple ways those keep turning up. We certainly have our work cut out for us, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ray, you're you're such a. I mean, this is such a uh, a bright light um, in so many ways. I, I I really enjoy this, and I also know that. Um, there's so many women who are going to listen to this and so many families and so many uh, men and so many children who are actually going to hear this. And um, I think we're all grateful for your time and your, your knowledge and your experience and, and your thoughtfulness. So uh, thank you so much. Okay. Fun talking to you. Likewise. Okay. Until next time. <laughs> bye. Okay. Bye.